This week in episode 26, we're talking about For Those in Peril on the Sea, also known as The Lost Island of Munger or A High Sea Adventure. This one was first broadcast on Sunday the 4th of March 1973 at 8.15pm. And gentlemen, I'm going to come out and say it, this is my favourite of series three. All the different sketches I get something out of, possibly with the exception of the one right, right, right at the end. But I think there's a lot of laughs in here, there's a lot of originality, it's my favourite of the season. Richard, what do you think? Well, I don't really know how to respond to that. (laughs) Honestly. I'll start by saying the title comes from an old naval hymn, (laughs) uh, which is Eternal Father Strong to Save. And the line is, O hear us when we cry to thee for those in peril on the sea, which which is sort of me scooting around trying to say what I thought. (laughs) It's one, I think... I've probably seen too many times. It was one that was on really high rotation on the ABC. Yes. Apart, I, I thought Henry McGee was really good. There is some entertaining stuff in the rest of it, but I don't actually think it's that great overall. Rob? I enjoyed everything up until they launched their ship. Wow. <laughs> and then afterwards it becomes a real mess. Henry McGee is really good, but everything around that is a bit of a mess. So it's a story of two halves for me. Tom? I like it. I think, much like yourself, Dave, that it is one of the better episodes of season three. So, yeah, there's just so much going for it. Henry McGee and Gerald are absolute high points. Out of Music Master, you absolutely knew why they brought them two back, because... They just stole the show. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll get into it. We open with a bathtub shot. Yeah. Now, it's interesting. Graham's bath is in the main living area. Yes. And you can yes. actually see the bathroom through the door. Yes. So, <laughs> quite... Perhaps it was a bit too cramped to put a camera in. Maybe. Oh, look, it had to be. And look, again, I'll confess, all the times I've watched this, it's never occurred to me that the bath's in the main room. It's only because I'm sitting here taking notes, getting ready to analyse the thing, that that's occurred to me. So you can almost give it a pass, I think. Yes, absolutely. So he's doing the whole story about the legendary Lost Island of Munger, and I think there's some good gags in there, particularly as Bill clearly thinks that he's just talking rubbish and is making fun of him the whole way through. I I actually think that's really unfettered Bill. It's just, you know, he's bored, so he just starts, you get attacked by a giant loofers. (laughs) 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 Weep! makes it really fun and I think you're right because because it's just such a natural interaction yeah that you can see it and, and you're right you almost can imagine Graham just doing this thing and Bill just naturally throwing them in yeah. and going that's great get that down get that down we'll make a, we'll make a yeah. the script it's, it's almost a stream of consciousness from Graham about you know what's happened mm. with his island and then Bill comes in and neatly punctuates the actual joke by saying that uh, your big toe's dirty uh, <laughs> I, I thought that was a good laugh that was a good laugh yeah I really enjoy that but again it sets them up in a way that they're not being hired to do anything. This is just them going on an adventure mm. because, hell, they want to. Well, they want to. Uh, Tim wants to plant the British flag uh, on another piece of real estate. Uh, until, until he discovers it'll be dangerous. And <laughs> he doesn't want to go. 
Tim the Coward. But of course they agree to go, then you get the little sequence where they ring Buckingham Palace because they want to have a proper boat launch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There is one small cut there that the, where the Queen tells them to get knotted. Yes. Sorry, the <laughs> voice on the recording tells yes. them to get knotted, which was edited here. But uh, We then go to the boat launch, and of course we actually get the gag of having the four children <laughs> there. Yes. So you get... And it's weird, looking back at now, where you know we see Charles in his 60s and even Andrew and Edward are you know, in their 50s, mm. looking at these declining in height four children down to Edward at the age of about 10 mm. but so clearly them because Charles has sort of got the ears and the stance and and's in the hat and the riding boots the riding yeah, boots and of course you know at this point I think they actually mentioned that, that Charles is a fan of the goons yes they do and they they mentioned that she I think as Graham says no we don't want her because she'll just be riding around chasing foxes in a, a sports <laughs> car and, and of course well she had recently been picked up speeding on the M1 and, and indeed was known to be a fan of blood sports, so... Yes, and this was also around about the time that there was the attempt, attempted kidnapping of her. Oh, where, yes. Um, basically, her car was pulled up at the side of the road and somebody with a gun opened the door and said, get out now, and she just said, get f- basically. <laughs> <laughs> and didn't. But no, at this stage, yeah, Charles did have a reputation for being a fan of the goons and indeed of the goodies. And we'll talk more about that when we get to the episode that he wanted to appear in. Mm, he did. In a, in a couple of seasons' time. They launched the boat to great fanfare. With uh, Tim doing his Lady Constance voice, overdubbed. Oh, yes, that's right. Yes, yes. Great, I was going to say great fanfare and the theme from the Oneidan line, <laughs> which, which in the actual piece of music, it's from it's uh, it's actually from Spartacus and the, the composer is Cachaturian, I think. But uh, yes, but it was best known probably as the theme the of the Oneidan line. I really like the entire sequence on the boat. I thought that there was a danger of it going a little bit too long or the jokes being a little bit too stay but they I think they keep moving that along with variations quite quickly and just before it starts to get boring they get off the boat so they have all the different gags they have the gags about Eddie they have the gag shooting the albatross mm. the flying fish the flying fish there's just lots of really funny things and it's a really pun heavy episode I've noted here mm. we'll get more of that as they get on board the ship but again we spoke about this last episode there's just gag after gag after gag that doesn't need to be there you know the flying fish gag doesn't move the plot along the sea being like glass doesn't move the plot along that wonderful gl- thing where they send the wing messenger please send us a bottle <laughs> <laughs> none of that has to be there no. but they're all there and i laughed at all of them and i thought it's a really good sequence some of that was quite fun i again like you i thought it probably ended just at the right time yeah i was just gonna say and and, and again bill is responsible for neatly punctuating a particular line by you know, shooting the albatross down yes. out, of the, out of the air, and that was, quite, that was quite good. They, of course, spot the oil tanker, which is another, I thought, quite a good visual gag. Yes, let's use an oil can to make the ship. And then they swim through it. It's funny, I noted that when they actually jump into the ocean that's meant to be covered in oil, it's very clearly something just light sitting on top of the ocean. Yes. But when they spray them with... Whatever it is. is. That looks really convincing. Yeah. Mm. And then they go aboard ship. Comments about that sequence, Kai. I did have the note here that they don't recognise Henry McGee or nasty person basically until the script requires them to. Well, he is a master of disguise. (laughs) And he had a moustache. The second time, the first time, Stavros he didn't. Stavros Malopolopoulos. He's a... Uh, Stavros Malopolopoulos is a take-off of... Aristotle and Anassus, I, I, I guess. Yeah, I'd say so, yeah. That sequence 
there contains the worst joke in the series. The six bells. Oh, that word about wearing bell bottom. No, the, the, the six the bells. Six, the actual six bells. <laughs> that was absolutely <laughs> awful. I it's look, it's nice to see uh, Henry McGee again and, and Gerald. That that's fun, but just some of the jokes on it were, were really laboured and even though the music sequence or the dance sequence was was quite good. No, I, I, I didn't like it overall. I'll, I'll defend that. Look, I agree the Six Bells is a really... It is awful. ...awful joke. But I'll defend on the basis that the music... Sorry, that nasty person... Yes. ...clearly knows that it's a bad joke because he then makes the joke about bell bottoms and then, hang on a moment. <laughs> you know, you're meant to be sailors, you should know this. So I'll actually defend it, I think, is a knowingly bad joke. All right. Uh, the audience groans at that point, don't they? Which I think was the reaction they were going for. Okay, well, fair so, enough. Yeah. Look, maybe, maybe I'm defending it after the plot, but I think that's what they were going for. Okay. Okay. But you're right, it is a very poor... Like the Bill Bottoms one, it comes naturally. That one, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it yeah. is a tough one. Yes. Uh, yeah, but you mentioned the music sequence. Which I didn't is, mind it. I thought, I, yeah. I thought that bit was quite good with her up on the, on the deck and they're, they're doing a yo-ho-ho sort of thing and... Uh, yeah, it was alright. And, and then there's the Sailor's Hornpipe. I was going to say, we probably should put a bit of a shout out to the Fred Tomlinson singers. Uh, yes. Yeah, because they really have been, a, a, they are a stalwart of the goodies. Two Ronnies and... Yeah, I was going to say, they're in a lot of other comedies here, and yeah. a lot of other series as well. So they're not merely extras, it's actually a group. It is actually a group. Fred Tomlinson was a, a singer and a song arranger and a, and a music arranger and everything like that. And he had his own yeah, group of backing singers. Oh, okay. Well, and they, they really were a staple in a lot of series, but particularly in the goodies. They're used in a lot of episodes. There's a very interesting cut. I don't know whether it's just a cut in the script or something's been cut out. Because it goes from Gerald back to walk with P-L-A-N-K. And then there's a very hard cut mm. to them literally at the end of the plank. So I don't know whether there was a sequence in there that was cut for time or they just decided, let's just get, get to it. You, you can see that there's a screen wipe across the screen. Mm. So whether that's masking an even harder cut, I'm not, mm. not sure, but it does. Mm. It, it is odd. A George Lucas screen wipe. Yeah. <laughs> Patented. Other than the Queen, in inverted commas, telling them to get knotted, it wasn't edited here. Okay, so they quickly arrive at the lost island of Munga. Well, the found island of Munga. That's a good joke, I think. They changed the sign. <laughs> Yes. 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 There's nothing actually wrong with the film sequence. And as a kid, I actually thought it was quite funny. Where they go around and there's all the things. They pick up the driftwood and suddenly find a full set of tools. And they mm. go, this, they squeeze the coconut milk. Bill builds the thing and the shark fin comes along and cuts. That actually was quite funny. The, 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 the shark, shark fin is the, the shark fin. Yes, exactly. Cutting that and along. They open the clams and Bill gets squirted. Tim finds a makeup set. Only <laughs> only Tim would find a makeup set. And then, of course, he gets the pearls and then he's attacked by the other two clams. So... Mm. I think it was almost like the filler before they could get back to Henry McGee. Mm. You know, for the. Uh... It almost feels like they're obliged to have sequences like that. Yeah, I, I was about to say that. I think if you didn't need to have a sequence like that, the episode doesn't need it. But then what, what do they do? I mean, they have to then write more material to make up the. I suppose. Look, it, I thought it dragged a little bit, so you wonder where they're going to get the, the, the script for two or three minutes worth to fill that gap. But anyway. Yeah, but it does end with them finding the. Native girls throwing cut potatoes into the ocean. Yes. That then leads them to find Nasty Person again who has another identity. Honest Harold Higginbottom. Yes, we forget about that one. Property developer. Yes. Yes. Who is apparently going to set up the Costa Munger, which is another pun. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and and you, you kind of wonder if the entire episode has been designed just to get to that moment where they get to make the Costa Munger joke. <laughs> Absolutely. 
this of course leads to the whole revelation of the fact that this is actually nasty person, international bad guy and mm. Master of Disguise, Sussex University. Yeah. <laughs> and some of his best work he shows us on the photo. So we have Richard Nixon, David Frost, Enoch Powell and Idi Amin. Yes. Which, which, you know, it's nice to see who the um, bad guys of mid-70s pop culture I'm, su- I'm surprised they didn't drop in Sparrow Avenue. But anyway, <laughs> he would almost have been forced to have resigned by then, wouldn't he? Uh, not quite. No. Not quite? I think with uh, Nixon you already hit that. Yeah. Although they do hammer Spyro Agnew in, in other episodes. Yeah, so it's interesting just to see who the... Uh, public enemies of pop culture in the 70s were and I'm sure David Frost was delighted to be up there with a racist politician, a, a genocidal maniac. maniac from Africa <laughs> and Richard Nixon <laughs> <laughs> look we need to talk about Henry McGee because this is sort of his big crescendo it, it, finale it is and I, must, I did like the bit where they, uh, where he introduces himself and they go back to the I do like to be beside the seaside when, when he first comes in in Music Master yes and even the stuff with Gerald playing the little organ announcements. Yes. Yeah, and there is a funny bit where, where he says, I am nasty person, rips off the moustache. He's like, ooh! <laughs> of course, they all, oh yes, I know how that feels. <laughs> <laughs> now, he, he really does add to the, the, the gloss or the sheen of this episode. I think without Henry McGee's performance, we're looking at a clunker in my book. I think he raises an average episode to being a very good episode, yes. but I guess wherever you draw the scale, mm. you can't argue that he adds considerable value Absolutely. to the episode, as does Gerald. Yes. Gerald is brilliant. Gerald although, is very good. Yes. Yeah. Although, what actually happens to Gerald at the end? Because well, presumably he just gets blown off the island and... Yeah, I mean, only three girls and the three goodies and a nasty person survive. Yes. There was a lot more than that on yeah, the island at the true. time. Yeah, that's true. So, Gerald's probably shark bait. <laughs> so, maybe that giant claw or whatever it is. <laughs> the macro got him. I do like the way that Graham deals with last person as well, because it could be a really laboured thing, or it could be a really dull thing, or a, or a violent... Like, you know, sometimes when comedies decide they need to have a big moment and actually become as violent but unfunny, yeah. or dramatic but unfunny... And Graham goes, they just go for the gag of tricking him with the 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 pen with the poison (laughs) gas. Which, look, you could argue in dramatic terms is a bit of a letdown, Mm. but I think it's, you know, this is meant to be a comedy, so go for the gag, not the drama. And Graham plays the gag really well. He does. He he is convincing enough. He's serious enough in what he's saying that that he carries the gag off. And and Henry McGee is serious enough in his responses. Yes. That you buy it. Yeah. Plus, of course, you then get to do the gag where Gerald comes back in, and of course, the the nasty person's now in all three goodies. (laughs) Oh, boss, this is your best yet. (laughs) You can't make just the goodies. (laughs) Oh, well done, boss. Obviously, the episode then needs to end, so they very quickly do a rain dance. And this is again another positive point for me. When I was rewatching this, I kind of expected that rain dance sequence to be quite dragged out. But they actually do it quite quickly and move mm. on quite well. They have a couple of gags there, like the lightning and all the rest of it. But they just sort of get on with it. And yeah, see, so I, I must admit, I sort of found the episode kind of just stop after that because they do the rain dance. And then, of course, the, the wind strikes up and they all get blown out to sea. And then, it, it, I don't know, that, that felt a bit laboured for me, probably that last bit. But then you get the Titanic bit where they're all... <laughs> <laughs> on, on, on the planks of wood and they get separated from the native ladies yet all end up in the office yeah. happy endings happy endings <laughs> and then 
that's the thing. They come back into the office and then they make the really obvious gag about Bill wants to get the native girls out of their bikinis. Yes. And then they just open the cupboard, there's Nasty Person, and then that's the end. It, it is a very quick ending, isn't it? The visual joke of Nasty Person in the water with a fish in his mouth is a funny gag. Mm, yeah. But you're right. I don't know whether they were right up against the edge of time or something, but the... The hard cutting of the credits. Yeah. But yeah. It looks it's very ep- quick. It is an episode that is jam-packed with stuff. It is. So you can't say that you've been shortchanged by perhaps a, a hasty year ending. No. No. And, and like I say, I, I stand by it. This is my favourite episode. Look, there's a couple of duller moments, usually in the um, filmed inserts. Mm. But all the variations of it, I think, is really good. The narrative holds together particularly well for a goodies episode. I enjoyed the jokes. It's got Henry McGee. This is one of my favourites. I like it. I'm not as entranced with it. it. It is full of a lot of relevant for the time references in it. Like they talk about the French dropping it. They found the island and dropped an H-bomb on it. Yes. Which of course is their testing in the South Pacific. I am going to make the pedantic point that 628 is way too early for Vikings. But <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, I noticed that. And the horn helmet. Yes, and the horn helmet. But uh, yeah, 620 is way too early for Vikings. Yeah, but... Hmm. Okay, well... Any other final thoughts, or should we move to our regular segment? Um, I did make a note, there was a mention there of Huey Green, who they've mentioned a couple of times in, in the uh, series. He, he was the host of Opportunity Knocks, which was sort of like a 70s X Factor, almost. They got these acts on, and they were relative unknowns. The audience got to vote. They would write in each week as to who they wanted to keep. And there were some names on there that, that went through. Bonnie Langford, actually, she got her start in the showbiz industry from, from winning, a, yeah, at about age seven. Winning a thing of opportunity knocks. The band Paper Lace, if anyone remembers them. Oh. The Night Chicago Died and yes. uh, Billy Don't Be a Hero. Yep. They were no, on there, no. no. Paul Daniels, no. the magician, Pam Ayres. No. So there you go. On that note, we'll move to our regular segments. The first of them is ads. We have another two here. We have another Heens Means Beans ad. This, of course, is the one that ends with Tim being shot by a tank. But the start of it, Rob, your your. Laughing here in the background. (laughs) Well, the inevitable end of that joke is is rude, is and is uh, funny as a result. It ends in the word "its," I suppose. (laughs) Yes, it would have. Yeah, no, it's very funny. Yes, Uh, the second ad is just a bit weird. It's the Mm. um, animal burgers. When when I was a kid, I thought that was hilarious. Yes, yes, the cat burger, the dog burger, the horse burger. If you need more. And then, and then it ends with penguins. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a completely random animal, I suppose. It is. What that actually did is it reminded me of a show that was usually shown in Australia, certainly in the 80s, just before the goodies, which was the Canadian You Can't Do That on Television. Which, oh, God, Which, which, yes, which had a recurring that. sketch of a, guess what's in the burger? Yeah, with a young Alanis Morissette. Yes, yes. yes. So that, that before she was gone. <laughs> yes, before she was gone. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> nice Kevin Smith reference there as well. We're doing well today. Uh, look, you're right. As a kid, that was funny. But as an adult, I think there must be some source material there that we just don't get. Or I, I think so. Was there uh, a meat substitution scandal that was going on? Maybe there like was. There the the one thing I would like to say is actually, you look at the amount of oil in that pan. Cooking <laughs> <laughs> them. Oh. Stavros Manovolopoulos. <laughs> it was the 70s. Alright, no one heard of cholesterol. <laughs> There's a word they just made up. Yes. Tropes and firsts. Tim is, is again patriotic and of course he's royal obsessed. <gasps> Children will be there. Yes. Interesting note that I made about the Land of Hope and Glory speech on this occasion. Tim doesn't play a record or turn it on. 
he just starts speaking and the music just sort of comes in from, <laughs> from nowhere. So where? We get to see the quick change of cameras again. Yep. You may say you're just playing silly games. You're just playing silly games. <laughs> <laughs> what couldn't they get away with today? Possibly the animal burgers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I actually had... There's a scene where the wind first picks up and the first thing it does is it blows the native girl's grass skirts off. Yes, which I, I thought was probably a bit... That's a bit Benny Hill, but I, I don't know that you'd do that now. Yeah, there's also a joke where they use the word puff and it's implied to be a slightly different... Yes. Word with slightly different vowels. And again, we've spoken before that that's a word that you just wouldn't have in television. No, not now. These days. The other note that I had is towards the end when they're preparing for the rain dance... The natives don't quite have the ooga booga noises. Yes, there are some what we would term native noises. Yeah. <laughs> Again, that's just a little bit off these days. Our favourite gags. Tom. Anything with Gerald. Gerald, a word in your ear. Oh, is there, boss? <laughs> <laughs> it's funny you should say that because mine, I'm actually going to go for the sequence of Gerald finding the three goodies and yeah. nasty person disguised yeah. as them. And what makes it not just Gerald's reaction... But I think it's Bill behind waggling grenades. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Any, anything with Gerald is absolutely tops in that episode. Rob, uh, the whole sequence where uh, nasty person of Stavros Malopoulos is complaining about the, the fame uh, and the notoriety that comes with being a millionaire, and the, and the bit where he ends with "stare if you like, stare if you like." I thought that was quite good. So. <laughs> Richard, your favourite gag? I had the beans maintained that because that little poem that was really funny. That <laughs> little poem. <laughs> I also had Gerald where he says, I'm going to count to three and then I'm going to go bang. One, two, three, bang! <laughs> oh, that was really funny. So, so yeah, one of those two. Yeah, there are some good jokes. Um, I also actually really like Bill chucking the loofers into the bath. I must admit, because that, as I said, that was just completely unfettered Bill. That's just, you know, wee splash, wee splash. Good. Now, gentlemen, one thing we haven't noted in our chats about Series 3 is that for the first time we have a change in the opening credits this season, which starts with New Office, and it's continued through. Only used in this season, though. Yeah, you felt like they'd looked at getting the best bits of the last season and probably some of the bits they filmed for the current season and were trying to build that into it. And Could this be a thing that they do every year? And sort of like it worked once and then, oh, no, we just like those. <laughs> yeah, they certainly update the visuals, but I... I of, of the various variations of the theme song, I think this is by far the weakest. Well, that, that sort of slower... It is color. a much slower, yeah. quieter version of the theme. Mm. Well, next week we'll be back with Way Outward Bound. But before that, it's time to take a walk in the Black Forest. You've been listening to the Goodies Pirate Podcast, the Australian podcast that puts the good in goodies. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please do leave us a review on iTunes. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode or your thoughts on upcoming episodes. So please drop us a line by email at pirategoodiespc at gmail.com. Send us a tweet at at pirategoodiespc or find us on Facebook at facebook.com stroke pirategoodiespc. Goodies, goody, goody, yum, yum. I'm the Napoleon of wickedness, the most naughty man in the world, master of disguises, Sussex University, <laughs> arch rascal, prince of mischief. You may know me as. 
50 persons. 